Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Um, where does a fish keep his money? Not bad. In, in the riverbank. Yes. Um, right. <laughs> is just a talk of jokes. <laughs> Why didn't the cow have any money? Yeah, go on. Yes! Yes! Because the farmer milked her dry. <laughs> I said no heckling. Um, right, easier one. You've got ten quid in your pocket. You lose five. What do you have in your pocket? A hole! All right. (laughs) Enough. Um, We're returning to our series on parables today. Um, So after those four wonderful jokes on money, what parable are we looking at? No one would have got it anyway, I'm sure. Um, so let's, let's read the passage together. Someone, so we're reading from Luke 12, if you have physical or virtual Bibles with you. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man... Who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear my barns down and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night your very life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Okay, so let's just take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you so much through your spirit, the truths that you shared with us already this morning. We thank you for your grace. I praise you that you are the victor that you have the victory. And we ask that you will continue to teach us, to speak truth to us through your word this morning. Amen. So today's passage is written by Dr. Luke. So as you'd expect from a good doctor, he's a details guy. 
Um, so you've got Jesus, you've got his disciples. They're probably in the Galilee region, which um, is sort of halfway down Israel, um, east to west, and you've got um, the Sea of Galilee on one side along to the coast. Um, the Sea of Galilee is a lake, confusingly. Um, so Jesus has become a bit of a sensation by now. And we learn from earlier on in Luke chapter 12 that there are vast crowds surrounding him. That it says thousands. There are thousands of people. They're pressing in. They're jostling. They're each trying to get closer to the miracle maker. People have traveled from far. In Matthew, we know people have heard about him in Syria already. Um, people are coming from outside the area. They're coming to this Galilee region, to a little-known region, to listen in to what Jesus has to say. So, when this unknown person from the crowd calls out to ask Jesus about some family feud, you can imagine the crowd are probably somewhat unimpressed. Um, have you ever been in a meeting or a situation when somebody asks a question that is absolutely nothing to do with what is being discussed? And it's sort of like, stop, just this is so awkward. We all, it's just irrelevant. Um, or I don't know um, any of you music fans, if you watched um, David Attenborough at Glastonbury, um, he was there to evangelise about getting rid of plastic. And he, was, he is a bit of a messiah figure for many people who love the earth. And can you just imagine if in front of thousands of people, thousands and thousands of people at Glastonbury, all there to worship at the throne of David Attenborough, uh, or, or many of them, um, suddenly someone sort of somehow gets a a microphone and interrupts him to ask about a personal family problem. It's just odd, awkward, probably irritating. Um, this man from the crowd, let's call him John Smith, he's so desperate for an answer to his question, he's willing to brave thousands of angry people. So I think we have to assume he is very confident, he's really concerned for his answer, and they didn't have microphones back then, so he must have a very loud voice. He actively interrupts Jesus' conversation with the disciples, and he's perfectly happy for the whole crowd to know his private business. This guy wants a result. So let's look, if you go back a slide, at his request in verse 13. John Smith wants a share of his father's estate. And seemingly, his brother is holding out on him. Clearly, his inheritance means a lot to him. He must think he'll feel better once it's all sorted out. Life will be easier, simpler. Why is John Smith so outraged about the situation that he shouts about it on a crowded hillside 2,000 years ago? It's a pretty common story, one that's quite familiar to us today. Uh, when my grandma died a couple of years ago, my mum was an executor of her will, and family members that we'd either never heard of or who had made it very plain they were not remotely interested in my mum or her mum suddenly were coming out of the woodwork to check to see if they had anything in the will, make sure they got their dues, and even those who were close 
um, were asking for money way beyond everything had been sorted out and sort of being quite miffed and saying, well, I'm sure she didn't mean it that way. Can I just have that lamp in cash form, etc." People really got quite het up about the idea of the will. Um, and in the movies, the reading of the will, the last will and testament, is often a big moment too. Um, so we're going to watch a very short clip. Um, it's 1936. So I don't know if you could see with the lighting, but essentially you have all these crusty old relatives coming out of the woodwork to try and lay a claim on this dead woman. And they've got thousands of them. <clears throat> Grand Budapest, Budapest Hotel, if you are into your quirky comedies. So why are all these relatives interested? Why did they start befriending my mum? And uh, why were they after this lady's estate? And what about us? When we hear our parents talk about the will, if they have one, um, does a small surge of entitlement rise up in us ever? Um, have we ever thought about it? For those of us who have lived through the passing of an elderly relative, were there any twinges of concern to make sure we got our fair share? John Smith isn't anyone special. He's not a particularly greedy guy. That's not the point of this parable. He's not a disciple asking a question of Jesus. He's not a Pharisee asking the question, which is often the case in the parables. John Smith is an everyman. He's one of us. He's just one of the crowd. So why does John Smith care so much? What might be behind his question? Um, so we go to the next slide. We're going to first look at whether he feels like he deserves it. Entitlement. So it's, I mean, it's, not, it's pretty obvious. If you um, have a parent and you know they're leaving you some money, you probably feel like you might get some. And maybe that's his point. Or maybe he was, the, the estate was all going to go to his older brother and he felt that wasn't fair and he felt he deserved he deserved a share. He'd worked really hard for it, or he'd been the loyal one to the parent. Um, maybe he feels entitled. Perhaps it was less about fairness and what was right, and more about the fact that he just really wanted the money to have some fun. Um, maybe he wanted to spend a little bit more on um, some day trips to the sea, some experiences. He wanted some paraphernalia to get some really good selfies for all his trips that he's going to spend his money on. He, or he'd been saving up for a holiday for like 10 years. Everyone else has been going on holidays. He hasn't been on a holiday, and he's just waiting for this inheritance. So he can finally take a break and just take it easy. Maybe he wants a little bit of extra spending money to treat the grandchildren. Or perhaps he just wants to go down and try the latest spa open at the Dead Sea. Um, so perhaps he just wants a bit of fun, a bit of, he wants to use the money to, to, to make himself happy. And finally, maybe it's anxiety that's driving him to ask this question of Jesus. Maybe he's fearful and that money will just bring the security he's been gasping for. 
He's wanted to have money set aside for a rainy day, the just-in-case fund. Um, and I think that's quite common. That's something that definitely I have in me. Um, and I was, some of you know I'm a technology lawyer, and I was um, interviewing uh, a witness a couple of years ago as part of a case. And this guy um, was, I think he was sort of around 54, and he was telling me that he'd spent his entire working life um, saving up to retire at precisely 57 years old, no more, no less, and he'd worked out exactly what his earnings would be and the trajectory he'd be staying at this one particular company. Um, unfortunately, the case that I was dealing with meant he was pretty much going to lose his job, um, very likely, and um, his big dream um, of retiring at 57, um, even if he had most of the money, it would sort of come to nothing because he'd primed it so that it was just so, and he had his retirement fund ready to go. He'd built and built and built towards it, and then suddenly, three years before, it all got taken away. And I, I just think that's, that's really, it feels quite normal to me that we want to have a rainy day fund. Um, and I myself, I often um, use stuff to solve the pressures of every day. I might say to myself, oh, I'm, I'm quite tired, and um, I just, I'm going to save up a bit, and then I know that I can um, pay for a cleaner for a period of time. And I have so many conversations with people about life pressing in and just wanting to find that breathing space, to find some ease. And usually, just like John Smith, my solution boils down to some kind of material solution. So, what does Jesus say? Does he order an immediate splitting up of the farm to make sure John, share, John Smith gets his share? No. In fact, Jesus doesn't answer the question at all. Well, he doesn't seem to. But what does he do? We can go back to the passage. That's it. He looks at what is motivating John Smith's question. He addresses that instead. He answers John Smith's heart. John Smith is looking to find fullness of life, and Jesus says in verse 15, you're not going to find life in having lots of stuff. And then he tells a story. He tells a story of a wealthy farmer who has so much stuff, he doesn't know what to do with it. And we've got a nice picture of lots of stuff we don't know what to do with. Many of you might know the size, the sheer scale of Amazon's warehouses, generally in the Midlands. They're enormous because there's more and more stuff, because we all want to buy more and more stuff more and more quickly. So they've built these enormous sheds just full of Amazon boxes. Um, so the farmer thinks, I will tear down my barns and I will rebuild bigger ones, and then I'll have plenty for many years to come. And then I can relax. Enter God, who says, you fool, you're going to die tonight. And Jesus concludes, it's unwise to store up earthly wealth and not be rich towards God. 
So what is Jesus saying? He's saying life is not for the accumulation of things. If we seek well-being from possessions rather than in our relationship with God, we're just like this rich man, a fool who finds death, not life. You'll notice that the parable is framed by these two concepts, the concept of life, the concept of death. Where can I find life? Essentially asks John Smith. Well, says Jesus, you'll only find death if you chase dollar and don't chase God. Then what will happen to all that stuff, all those experiences you accumulated? Meaningless. They're gone. Needless to say, this parable isn't a comedy. Um, Note, Jesus doesn't say that the farmer's wealth itself is wrong. It's the seeking of life in the wealth that will fail you. So what is Jesus saying to John Smith through this parable? The dividing of the inheritance should not be such a cause of concern for him. It won't satisfy John Smith's feeling of entitlement, his desire for pleasure, for happiness. It won't deal with his fears and anxieties. Increased possessions won't bring a more fulfilled life. His inheritance should be unimportant by contrast to seeking God. Relationship with God is where life is found. Jesus is pointing us away from our instincts to solve our own issues by our own means. That spa spa day down at the Dead Sea. He's directing us to be rich towards God. Don't prioritise earthly things. Prioritise our relationship with God. Don't be invested in what you can get. Prioritise and be invested in God. Don't spend all your energy pursuing things that won't last. Pursue God. It's not just money that Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about food. He's talking about clothes. He's talking about housing, experiences, selfies, intelligence, reputation, whatever it is that you and I treasure, that's what he's talking about. And they won't satisfy And if you don't believe me that this passage is broader than just crops from a farmer, um, read on this afternoon in chapter 12 and you'll see that Jesus kind of expands the list. You might have actually heard this before. You know, money won't buy happiness is quite a common thing these days. Like you can imagine it on a T-shirt. People like to quote the super rich who say their money hasn't made them happy. But if I'm honest, I personally know quite a lot of people who would say their treasure or their thing, whatever their thing is, does make them happy. If they're into fitness, then achieving a new PB really does make them happy. They're obsessed. If they're into saving, then hitting their savings goal is a really good feeling. And if they like giving to charity, then they just feel so good. They feel so happy when they buy a homeless guy a meal. And maybe John Smith would have actually breathed a sigh of relief if he'd finally got hold of some of his father's property. Is Jesus just really out of touch with John Smith and everyone else? 
Um, if we go back, sorry, Martin. Um, if we look at verses 18 and 19, I think the farmer's quite happy. He doesn't sound worried about all his extra crops, but it is fleeting. He faces a reckoning that night, that night. It's a waste. It's gone. It doesn't go deep. It doesn't meet the needs of his spiritual life. What would meet those needs? What does avoid death? Jesus says it's an ongoing relationship with God. The issue for the farmer was not that he rebuilt his barns. It's his attitude that said, now I've got bigger barns, I'm going to be all right. Everything will be okay. But he wasn't all right. He died that night. And he could never have been all right on his own. None of us are actually all right. Nothing we do, nothing we get, nothing we experience will make us all right on that deeper, lasting level. Only Jesus makes us all right. He bought us relationship with God, and relationship with God is not fleeting. It's everlasting. When Jesus died on the cross, he brought us back together with God. But we had and continually have a way of removing ourselves out of that relationship. And we seek relationship with other things instead. We sang earlier, our saviour displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand and that was when death was arrested and my life began. We face death, but in Christ we have the victory. Doesn't that inspire us to reinvest in our relationship with God over and above all those other things that we do and that we pursue? To be rich towards God. But, but what does being rich towards God mean? Well, <clears throat> later in Luke, same chapter, Luke 12, um, we find out that uh, from Jesus, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So how do we work out? What's our treasure? Uh, some of you might have thought about this before. It, two good questions to ask yourself. One, uh, where do you put your money? And two, where do you put your time? If you just have a think about that for a moment, what is it that you are prioritizing with your money at the moment? Or what is it that you spend all your time on, all your effort, all your energy on? And the point of this is, Jesus is saying, these things are fine. He's not like, you know, go and sit in a room and just pray for the rest of your life. 
But he's saying, hold them lightly because they're fleeting. Choose to hold these things lightly. If they go, it's okay. If I don't get my inheritance, my heart isn't disturbed because I'm focused on my relationship with God and that can never be taken away. So how do we how do we pursue God? How do we prioritize him over these other things? Well, we focus on what Jesus asks of us. Um, again, in Luke chapter 12, we get those famous verse, um, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. So we seek the kingdom. That starts with spending time with him. And we all spend time with him in different ways, but there are some really core ways we do that. One of them is just reading our Bible, and we're all different in how often we do that, and how and where and who we're on our own, up a mountain, if you can climb a mountain every day. Um, But frequently, we read our Bible because that's where God reveals himself. And the devil can't take those words away. They're written down, and we're lucky. We have them in English. They're in print. They're on the computer. You can read your Bible. Um, we can pray, we can ask the Holy Spirit to talk to us, and we can give praise to God in all sorts of ways, obviously through singing, through art, um, walking, running, but we can praise him. So we spend time with him, that's how we're rich towards him, and then we do what he says in those times. So through the Bible, there's quite a lot that Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to be generous. He wants us to spend time with each other, to to have fellowship with each other. He wants us to treat other people well. He wants us to share the good news with those who don't already know him. And so many other things that I'm sure, I'm sure you already have laid on your heart. So this parable, it shows us that loving God is not a tick box exercise. It's not a one-time commitment. It's an ongoing relationship with him. The farmer, he's facing his maker, having prioritized the wrong things. So let's not be like the farmer or John Smith. Let's spend ourselves on God. And when we mess up, when we dry up, when we fall away, as we, we will, we inevitably will, let's come back to the truth receive God's forgiveness through Jesus and just reset our priorities over and over again. Let's be rich towards God. So we're going to spend a bit of time letting that sink in. We're going to respond um, in a couple of different ways. First of all, I want us to spend some time, and the band will be playing quietly in the background for a bit, um, just asking God, what do I need release from? What am I pursuing before God? What am I prioritizing above God? What is it that drives me to pursue things that aren't God? Is it entitlement? Do I feel like I'm deserving? Is it pleasure? I, I want fun, happiness. Or is it fear? Am I, am I concerned? What if I don't have that money? What's going to happen to my 
future? What's going to happen to my family who I really want to take care for? The Holy Spirit can come and he wants to remove those things so that our hearts are for God first. Our hearts are to pursue him before we pursue anything else. And um, you should see a picture of a motorbike with a passenger. Um, I don't know uh, if any of you have ever been on the back of a motorbike, but when you ride a motorbike as a passenger, it's incredibly important that you lean into the turns. You can't lean out of the turns, um, or you might cause an accident. At the very least, you'll make things a lot harder for yourself and for the rider. And just as we come and ask, search ourselves, ask God, ask the Spirit to come and search us, reveal ourselves, let's picture, let's take this image of riding fast. God, was, God will take us on an adventure. It's amazing, it's deep, it's rich, but we, we have to cling to him. We can't kind of sit back or we'll probably fly off the back of the bike. As you know, we go round bends, even up the straight, you want to be close to God. You want to run, you want to ride fast, holding on to him, not doing it ourselves. So I think let's stand. And there's no rush today. There's no excuse to think this is for someone else. We've got plenty of time. Um, so we're asking God, God, what is it that's driving me to seek things and prioritize things over you? Maybe entitlement, pleasure, fear, anything else. We're picturing ourselves and asking, asking neighbor, the Holy Spirit to, to bring release from those things Either so that, share, like this pillion rider, heart, we can zoom with Christ. Can you pray for me? Can you lay a hand on me? Let's start there. Let's just take some time to pray. It's always good to, um, to open our, our arms out, our hands out, um, to receive the Holy Spirit, just, to, just as a, a symbol of receiving But don't be disturbed by wondering what's coming next. Just um, spend some time. And uh, if you're struggling, just focus on the image of the, of the motorbike rider. Focus on the passage that we've read. Think about the farmer. And ask God your questions. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.